0: Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15-20 to minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, Literally Heather. I hope that you guys had a wonderful weekend. I hope you're ready for this Monday. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in, you amazing, loyal human beings, Uh, to start the morning off. Of course, I have to start you guys with the Palmetto State Armory deal of the day. It is a Ruger 22LR pistol in black, which is regularly $549.99, but it's on clearance for $299.99. The link is in the show description. This pistol is a favorite for many people, and that's a heck of a deal. Also, a heck of a deal is being the Secretary of Defense for the United States and being hospitalized for days without informing the President of the United States. Not that old Joe would have any clue about what you're talking about, but it's the principle of the matter. The Pentagon did not tell President Joe Biden and other top officials about Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's hospitalization for three days. Three U.S. officials have said. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and other senior White House aides didn't know of Austin's January 1st hospitalization until the Defense Department sent over word on January 4th. Two other U.S. officials said. Sullivan informed Biden shortly after the Department of Defense's Thursday notification. The officials said it was, quote, highly unlikely that Austin conveyed word to Biden privately before Sullivan's briefing. If Jake didn't know, no way the president knew. Who would have told him of Austin's condition if not Jake? And if someone did tell the president, Jake would have been his first call. Biden held a cordial conversation with Austin on Saturday night, per one of the U.S. officials. I would love to hear that phone call. The president has complete trust and confidence in Secretary Austin. Of course he does, because he has no fucking clue of what's going on. A National Security Council spokesperson echoed that sentiment, noting Biden is looking forward to Austin getting back to the Pentagon. But the news of Austin's situation comes as a shock to all White House staff as they were unaware the Pentagon boss was dealing with complications following an elective medical procedure. National Security Council staffers were surprised. It took the Pentagon so long to let them know of Austin's status. The Pentagon didn't make the information public until Friday evening, notifying Congress about 15 minutes before releasing a public statement. The NSC and Pentagon declined to comment. In a Saturday statement after an earlier version of this story was published, Austin said, "Quote I could have done a better job ensuring the public was appropriately informed. I commit to doing better, but this is important to say. This was my medical procedure, and I take full responsibility for my decisions about disclosure. Funny, he didn't have a problem imposing medical procedures on his soldiers at the behest of Big Pharma and being nosy AF as to whether or not they complied. Chuck Hagel, the former senator who served as defense secretary during the Obama administration, said the Pentagon absolutely had to let the NSC know about Austin's condition and whereabouts. The NSC is part of your team. It's part of the family, he stated during a brief interview. The president has to know where his cabinet members are at all times. Tom Cotton, who is a senator out of Arkansas, and a member of the Senate Armed Service Committee <laughs> said in his statement that Austin, quote, must addressed promptly why the White House wasn't informed of his hospitalization for days. Senator Roger Wicker, who is also a Republican out of Mississippi and the Senate Armed Service Committee's top Republican, called Austin's silence unacceptable and demanded a briefing on the matter. Austin spent four days in the intensive care unit. On Friday evening, as many people were turning toward their weekends, Department of Defense spokesperson Major General Pat Ryder announced that Austin had been hospitalized since January 1st. His deputy, Kathleen Hicks, partially assumed some of his duties from January 1st until January 5th, when he resumed his full duties, according to one senior DOD official. But Austin's hospitalization was a closely guarded secret, kept from even senior Pentagon officials and congressional leaders until just before the public statement. Some Pentagon officials only learned of Austin's situation through Ryder's news release. One of the Department of Defense officials said their office was told by Austin's aides that the secretary was working home for the week. While Austin remains hospitalized, So, I just want you guys to understand, he's, quote, resumed full duties, but he's still hospitalized. The U.S. is working through options for responding to attacks by Iranian-backed militias across the Middle East. Several American destroyers are currently in the Red Sea, where they've shot down dozens of attack drones and ballistic missiles launched by Houthi rebels. In Iraq and Syria, U.S. ground forces are fending off over 120 missile and rocket attacks. But everything's under control, guys. In other Biden administration failures, a TSA director has been arrested after forgery and exploitation of a family member with dementia was discovered. He really knows how to pick them, doesn't he? First... A luggage stealing asylum candidate to handle our nuclear disposal. And now, this TSA Assistant Federal Security Director Maxine McManaman, wee, what a name, was detained in Atlanta by U.S. Customs and Border Protection and has been arrested after forging a quit claim deed to exploit a family member with dementia. The investigation determined that on December fifth, two thousand and twenty-two, a quitclaim deed was prepared by Maxine McManaman and stated that the grantor was listing Maxine McManaman and Delroy Chambers as the grantee. The statement continued. McManaman attempted to use the quitclaim quit claim deed to transfer the home of an elderly relative with dementia to her and Chambers. Officers detailed that the relative of McManaman, whose signature would have been on the quit quit, quit claim, could not have possibly been real because of the date specified, since the relative was determined to be in Atlanta, Georgia on that date. According to McManaman's LinkedIn page, she has been working at the TSA for 21 years and was recently promoted to director as of June of 2023. Chambers had been previously arrested in Port Saint Lucia on December 20th of 2023 with counts of elderly abuse, forgery, and simple neglect of an elderly person. He is currently out on bond and is an immigrant from Jamaica according to his social media, just winners, the lot of them. Back in November, California passed a new law that will mandate kindergarten through 12th grade students learn media literacy as part of their modules plan. It's recently gone viral on social media because it goes in effect this month, so I figured I'd talk about it a little bit today. The bill is designed... (laughs) to help students in identifying false information online. It's bill number 873, if you want to look it up, and requires media literacy content to be incorporated into mathematics, science and history, social science curriculum frameworks. The bill begins this month, expands on previous laws requiring that the State Department of Education post resources and instructional materials on media literacy, on its website for school districts to ask, access. You know, the sad part is you guys are wanting to implement media literacy. You probably should just focus on actual literacy because most of your kids can't read. Such states, states such as New Jersey, Illinois, and Delaware also require media literacy lessons for students. Berman said on his website, at least 18 state legislatures have made steps to prioritize media literacy education in schools. Massachusetts-based organization uh, called Media Literacy Now. Oh boy, I'm going to look into that. Pushes for media literacy education in schools. Shocker. The, I wonder how much money they're getting to write the programming for this. The people lying will now be responsible for guiding discernment. I don't see how this could possibly go wrong. The bill to incorporate media literacy was introduced in uh, February of last year, largely because legislator, legislators, I cannot fucking talk today, want to make sure students can ask and answer questions about the moral obligations and ethical standards regarding what appears on social media networks and digital platforms. The bill's text states that explicitly. With so many young people online, more than 90%, legislators and social media will continue to reach and influence them. But wait a minute. I thought... Well, anyway. A huge part of the problem, the bill's text argues that many young people can tell the difference between ads and news stories. Citing a study out of Stanford University, Berman said in the bill's text that 82% of middle schoolers couldn't tell the difference between ads and news stories. On his web- website, he also cited a 2019 Stanford University study in which more than half of the high school students surveyed thought that a grainy video that claimed to show ballot stuffing was, quote, strong evidence of voter fraud in the United States. The video, however, was filmed in Russia. Berman is the individual who introduced this legislation, by the way. I think I said his name, but I didn't tell you who he was. And with misinformation on the rise, the bill will seemingly give legislators a way to combat online misinformation and its interference with democratic decision-making and public health. So you mean like telling us to wear the masks or not wear the masks or telling us that if we didn't get this shot, we were going to die or kill everybody's grandmas or telling us that it was going to stop the spread, telling us that you were only going to shut us down for 15 days, telling us that Donald Trump was a Russian plant with the Kremlin, in the 2016 election, when actually our own government was spying on his campaign. Do you mean those types of 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 things? Like I, I'm just trying to make sure that I understand at this point. California's law received bipartisan support and will ensure that students as young as kindergarten will be introduced to media literacy in some form. What media literacy with younger students looks like may involve asking questions, said McNeil from Media Literacy Now. Who created this? She said, what is it telling me? What does it want me to do? What I used to do with my kids before they were in kindergarten is to ask them about a toy commercial that they're seeing and the toy packaging that they're seeing. Does that toy really do that? She said California's plan looks promising, largely because it includes frameworks that will help shape state resources. Uh, It's always about the money. This state will vet these resources and put funding towards teacher training, she said. California's most recent steps aren't just about the news, she said. Oh, good. I'm hoping your next steps are to work on all those kids saying that Osama bin Laden was right. I think a big part of this is social media, she said. This is about who's contacting me on social media when I put a message out on social media. What does that say about myself? There are also social media issues involving bullying, dangerous challenges, and in many cases, sexual extortion of teenage boys, she said. "Oh, Do you mean from the female teachers? Yeah, I'm noticing that's becoming a huge problem too. She would like to see legislators tackle evaluation mem- measurement and look into how students are learning media literacy, where it's being taught, which school districts are doing a good job at it, and where more attention is needed. We have a responsibility. To teach the next generation to be more critical consumers of online content and more guarded against misinformation, propaganda, and conspiracy theories, he said. Oh, so in other words, you need more control over the kids so that their parents can't be the ones to teach them. In addition, this instruction will help students be more responsible digital citizens, more intentional about what they put online and better understand online safety and privacy. Yeah, teaching them that the mainstream media lies more than anyone would be a good first place to start. In a story that I thought was not real, (laughs) after an eight-month delay, a rocket is set to release the remains of 330 people, including George Washington, John F. Kennedy, and Star Trek cast, into outer space in a quote, permanent memorial today. The spaceship will then take the remaining 268 capsules over 185 million miles into deep space where they will orbit the sun forever. I've had a lot of firsts in my career, but this will be the first commercial deep space space mission ever done. And hopefully it will be the first of many many more over the next few centuries. That was Celestis, CEO and co-founder Charles Chafer. The Celestial payload will be filled with luminaries, an anonymous donor-contributed hair samples from former presidents George Washington, John F. Kennedy, and Dwight D. Eisenhower. Who, who is anonymously collecting dead presidents' hair? Partial remains of late Star Trek cast members uh, Nichelle Nichols, who was Lieutenant Uhura. Uh, uh, No. James Doohan. Can you tell I'm a Star Wars girl, not a Star Trek girl? Don't tell anyone, though. It'll be our secret. James Doohan, who was Scotty. Scotty, beat me up, Scotty. I do at least know that. And DeForest Kelly her Dr. McCoy will also be on board. The mission will also send the show's mastermind, Roddenberry, and his wife and actress, Majelle Barrett Roddenberry, into deep space. We flew Jean on our very first mission in 1997, and Magell came to be a part of it. And she said to me, when it's my time, I'd like you to fly Jean and I together on a deep space mission. And me, being 28 years old at the time and having no reason to believe we couldn't do it, I said, I'd be happy to do that, he recalled. So not only is the launch a culmination of all our work to date, it represents the fulfillment of a promise that I made, Chafer continued. The flight will also fulfill Upper West Side-based sculptor and painter Louise Cache's lifetime wish. Louise, whose work has been on display at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Smithsonian and the Whitney died at 87 in 2013 and was deeply fascinated by space exploration and obsessed with NASA. Her daughter said, my, dream, er, my mom's dream was for her ashes to be buried in space. Melissa will watch the launch with her father, Morton Cash, who will turn 97 on the same day. Via online video streaming. I'm incredibly overwhelmed at the idea that it's actually going to happen. I'm just thrilled that her dream of the ultimate voyage will be fulfilled, she said. Orbiting deep space in perpetuity doesn't come cheap, costing under just $13,000. Less permanent send offs, such as suborbital flights, which come back to Earth and are returned to the participants' families run $3,000, and to orbit around Earth costs almost $5,000. All I can think of right now is the DNA of George Washington being discovered by some sort of like alien and crossbred and getting some alien form of George that comes back to the Earth and liberates everyone from tyrannical governments. For the directors who made Sharknado, I have ideas, call me. Um... <laughs> I'm on one today in case you guys can't tell. Um, Anthony Fauci will give testimony to the House Oversight Committee as part of its investigation into how the crisis was managed. He will be interviewed on Monday and Tuesday for seven hours each day with two personal and two government lawyers in attendance. Fauci has agreed to attend a public hearing at a later date, which has yet to be confirmed. Listen. Listen. I can save y'all a ton of time by telling you how the crisis was managed totally and completely authoritarian and illegally by wielding executive power through health departments with unconstitutional edicts that violated the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness of damn near everyone in the country. Four seconds? Maybe that's all it took. Now imprison him for life with some big burly man that's been in solitary confinement for five-plus years. Representative Brad Wenstrup, the subcommittee chair, said in a statement that Fauci's testimony will serve as a crucial component of its investigation. It's time for Dr. Fauci to confront the facts and address the numerous controversies that have arisen during and after the pandemic. The Republican from Ohio said, Americans deserve trusted public health leaders who prioritize the well-being of our people over any personal or political goals. Well, now that's the pot calling the kettle black. We all know you're not going to actually do shit as a result of your investigation, but I hope you feel better virtue signaling. The House Oversight Committee noted previous accusations made against Fauci, including That he attempted to obfuscate, obfuscate, I'm like, I'm in the inability to speak. And when the word obfuscate (laughs) shows up tonight, I swear to God, I haven't been drinking. Um, Indirect United States funding of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which some suspect may have been the true origin of COVID-19 rather than the virus jumping the species barrier into humans, excuse that was given previously, and that America had actually financed the research to enhance viruses in the lab. For those of you who have not been following me for a very long time, I wrote an article in February, it was on February 12th of 2020, and I knew that the virus originated in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and I'm just a mom in Indiana. We did fund the research, and I believe we are actually still funding that laboratory, by the way. Uh, two intelligence agencies have said they believe the pandemic started as a result of a mishap at the Chinese lab, something that China obviously has repeatedly denied. Fauci came under fire after it emerged that the National Institute of Health, which he had been a key member of between 1984 all the way to 2022, gave US based Eco Health Alliance a $3.7 million grant in 2014, 600,000 of which was sent to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to study bat coronaviruses. Oh, say it ain't so. In March, House Republicans released a memorandum that accused Fauci of orchestrating the publication of a scientific paper that would suggest against the lab leak theory. Fauci described this as false and misleading in a previous statement given to who? Not Congress, not the president, not anyone who can hold him accountable, but Newsweek. He later said the allegations against him were politically motivated due to his public disagreements with then-President Donald Trump at the height of the pandemic and called claims he attempted to cover up a lab leak. Conspiracy at its height. And really ridiculous. Because I'm a glutton for punishment, when the public hearing occurs, I will be tuning in knowing damn good and well that nothing will come of any of it and keep you guys posted so you can be masochists with me Your craziest news story of the weekend is about an Alaskan Airlines jetliner that blew out a portion of its fuselage shortly after takeoff three miles above Oregon late on Friday, forcing the pilots to make an emergency landing as its 171 passengers and six crew members donned oxygen masks. As a result, federal officials on Saturday ordered the immediate grounding of some of Boeing's 737 MAX 9 jetliners, until they are inspected the required inspections take around 4 to 8 hours per aircraft and affect about 171 airplanes worldwide alaska airlines said in a statement that of the 65 737s in its fleet crews had inspected the panelled panelled over exits as part of recent maintenance work on 18 planes and those were cleared to return to service saturday Inspections for the remaining aircraft were expected to be completed in the coming days. Thankfully, no one was seriously hurt as the depressurized plane returned safely to Portland International Airport about 20 minutes after departure. Authorities are still looking for the door from the panel to over-exit and have a good idea of where it landed, near Oregon Routes 217 and Barnes Road in the Cedar Hills area of West Portland. National Transportation Safety Board Chair Jennifer Homendy said at a news conference late Saturday, if you find that, please, please contact local law enforcement, she said. Nah, fam. Some homeless man has already acquired said door, propped it up next to his tent for some added feng shui. It was extremely lucky that the airplane had not yet reached cruising altitude when passengers and flight attendants might be walking around the cabin, Homendy said. No one was seated in the 26A and B where the door plug is. The aircraft was around 16,000 feet and only 10 minutes out from the airport when the door blew, she said. Now, I will say Of everything I've read so far about this situation, this one is the one that set off alarm bells for me, or at least a little bit. Every flight that I've ever traveled on, those seats are encouraged to be manned in the event of an emergency landing and needing someone to operate the door. The flight attendants would even go up and down the aisles and request someone to take those seats if they weren't occupied. For both of those seats to have been empty on an otherwise full plane, based on the videos I've seen circulating, is odd to me. Um, I Not for some like grand conspiracy theory, but it is interesting, I guess. Because um, those seats also provide a little additional legroom. So traditionally, people appreciate those seats. Um, I did Google this, and it says they don't need to be occupied although some airlines prefer it. So in case of an emergency, the exits can be opened faster. So I was right about that part. I guess I've just always traveled on the airlines that preferred it. Um, The headrests were gone on seats 26A and 25A, and 26A was also missing part of its seat back. There were also clothing items strewn about the area, there's not been a major crash involving a U.S. passenger carrier within the country since 2009, when a Colgan air flight crashed near Buffalo, New York, killing all 49 people on board and one person on the ground. They must have been enemies of Hillary Clinton. Uh, in 2013, <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys. In 2013, an Asiano Airlines flight arriving from South Korea crashed at San Francisco International Airport, killing three of the 307 people on board. Passenger Evan Smith said a boy and his mother were sitting in the row where the panel blew out and the child's shirt was sucked off of him and out of the plane. You heard a big, loud bang to the left rear, a whooshing sound, and all the masks dropped Instantly, and everyone got those on. Homindy could not confirm reports that anyone had a shirt sucked off by the depressurization or provide details yet about what happened to those sitting close to the blown out uh, fuselage. Homindy and investigators from the NTSB arrived in Portland on Saturday to begin in an investigation that is likely to last months. Alaska Airlines CEO Ben Minute. Minasuchi (laughs) said the inspection of the company's 737-9 aircraft could take days to complete. They make up a fifth of the company's 314 planes. The aircraft involved rolled off the assembly line and received its certification just two months ago, according to online FAA records. It has only been on 145 flights since entering commercial service on November 11th. The flight from Portland was the aircraft's third flight of the day. Lucky, lucky. <laughs> um, last but not least, I'm sure you'll be so excited to know that congressional leaders have reached a $1.66 trillion, with a T deal on U.S. spending. The news was jointly announced on Sunday by Chuck Schumer, the Democratic Senate Majority Leader, and Mike Johnson, the Republican Speaker of the House. The agreement comes less than two weeks before a budget deadline, and several Republican hardliners cast doubt on whether the framework could be passed in time. Funding for several parts of the federal government is set to run out on January 19th, and for others on February 2nd. Unless the two sides can hammer out a more detailed budget bill, any final deal will need to be passed by the Democrat-controlled Senate and the Republican-controlled House and signed into law by Joe Biden. The budget negotiations are separate from a supplementary request from Joe Biden for billions, with a B, of dollars in additional foreign aid for Ukraine and Israel. In a joint statement with Hakeem Jeffries, the top House Democrat, Schumer said the framework agreed on Sunday clears the way for Congress to act over the next few weeks in order to maintain important funding priorities for the American people and avoid a government shutdown. I tell you what, let I'll make a deal with you, Chuck Schumer. You let that government shut down for a couple weeks, and we see who's hurting more, the government Or the people. In a letter to Republican colleagues on Sunday afternoon, Johnson said Republicans had, quote, secured hard fought concessions, including $10 billion in cuts to the IRS and a clawback of $6.1 billion in unused COVID 19 pandemic relief funds. What does that even mean? A clawback of unused relief funds where are you putting that money what are you doing with it the result is real savings to american taxpayers and real reductions in the federal bureaucracy johnson said biden also welcomed the news saying in a statement that the funding framework quote moves us one step closer to preventing a needless government shutdown and protecting important national priorities But the deal has already come under attack from hardliners in Republican ranks who have pushed for steeper budget cuts and could wield outsized influence over the process. It's even worse than we thought, the conservative House Freedom Caucus said in a social media post late on Sunday. This is a total failure, Chip Roy, a Republican congressman from Texas, called the framework terrible and said it gives away leverage. As usual, we keep spending more money we don't have, he added. Republicans control the House by a razor-thin margin after the departure in recent weeks of several members of Congress, including former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy was ousted as Speaker in part due to fellow Republicans' distaste for a deal he struck last year with Biden on government funding. The framework announced on Sunday largely keeps funding levels on par with what McCarthy and Biden had agreed to. Johnson acknowledged that the new spending levels would, quote, not satisfy everyone and, quote, do not cut as much spending as many of us would like. But he said the latest framework provided a path to move the process forward and Fight for the important policy priorities of House Republicans. I feel like Mr. Johnson might have missed the memo, but fiscal responsibility is one of the core policy priorities of what used to be the Republican Party. What do I know, though? That is your Monday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I love you guys. Like I said, I hope you had a great weekend. Check out that Ruger on the deal in the show description and like, share, subscribe, do all the stuff if you enjoyed the show. Sorry for all the like <laughs> quippy little tangents that I made today's show is interesting and long. I'm going to end it now. You guys take care and have a great Monday. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out ShouseInTheHouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.